We're, uh, we're taking a, quite a journey here together and have been for quite a few weeks and uh, keep getting interrupted every once in a while, you know, people like Ken showing up, you know, and all that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm going to take just a few minutes just to review, but then I really, I want you to just prayerfully make sure your heart is open to receive from the Lord this morning. Um, you know, unless you're using your cell phone to take notes or to follow scripture, uh, turn it off. Are you hearing me this morning? Unplug? Oh my goodness, really? Look at you with your remote and your computer telling us to unplug. I'm being purposeful with it, all right? So uh, unplug this morning. Ask God to give you focus on what's going to be shared here today. So we've been taking this journey together, you know, unpacking what the Bible has to say about the grace of God. Now, at the end of it all, like I said, I've been working on this book and I've been using this opportunity also to force myself to finish it. Nothing like setting a goal for your life, right? I'm working hard at it, even though my boys have been picking the worst time to work on houses and me have to be out there wiring and all that kind of stuff, but that's another day and another story. So I began this whole series talking about uh, our image, our self-image, and discovering who we are, and, and I pointed out to everyone that our perception of what other people think of us is the foundation of human self-image. It's called the looking glass self-theory. So what those that are closest to us think about us is how we view ourselves. So if I think my wife thinks I'm a great guy, then I'm going to feel pretty good. If my wife thinks I'm a bum, then I'm not going to feel very good, right? If my children think that I'm uh, not very good, then I'm not going to feel good about myself. But if I, my children, and I believe that my children think very highly of me, then I'm probably going to have pretty good self-worth. And so that being true then, this is also true, then the closer my relationship is with God, then the more my view of how he sees me is going to shape my self-worth. So if I get close to God and I understand how he feels about me and I understand what the word says about me, then my self-worth is also going to go up, right? So in other words, the closer you get to God, then the better you should feel about yourself. Does that make sense to anybody? Right? The more you should be able to look in the mirror and go, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm, I'm royalty. I'm part of the family of God. This is awesome. And it shapes our identity. Now we moved on from Self-image, we started talking about our performance and uh, pointed out that, you know, we all know we live in a competitive world and uh, how you perform determines your success and then by extension, your value. So many times, how many came from a, a family where productivity was really, really important? I did. I mean, my dad raised me that if you don't, if you don't work, you're worthless, right? How many know what I'm talking about? You, Never, never encountered that before? Uh, you know, that was the environment I was raised in. So work, work, work. Uh, when, we, when my dad took vacation, we took vacation to work. So he was an electrician in a plant, but when he took vacation, he went and wired houses, and we cut wood, and we did all kinds of stuff. Uh, vacation time was work time. It was time to get our stuff done instead of the working for the man, so to speak. So, uh, you know, productivity, 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 productivity. And, you know, we have to understand that... Uh, Body image may be a bigger issue many times for women. I'm not saying it isn't an issue for men. But, you know, most guys can look in the mirror even if we're 50 pounds overweight and go, I look good. Right? You know, we, we, can, we can do that, you know. Uh, but here's the thing. Men are far more afflicted by, uh, you know, getting their identity from what they do. Right? Uh, it's like I pointed out to you guys a few weeks ago. I go to a party and meet somebody for the first time. And my wife does as well. We come away and she asks me, oh, yeah, I saw you talking to so-and-so. How many, did you find out how many kids they have? I go, no, no, no. But I know that he works here, does this, and has this for a hobby. You know what I'm saying? And that's because we, those are the things that we draw our identity from. 
So those are the things that we communicate about. You know, when it comes to being loved by God, uh, the reality is this, that our performance is of no consequence, right? When it comes to being loved by God, your performance is of absolutely no consequence, none whatsoever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do you understand what I'm saying? No consequence whatsoever. The truth of the matter is that when it comes to the love of God, uh, your performance does not qualify you and your failure does not disqualify you. Does everybody get that? Your performance doesn't qualify you and your failure does not disqualify you. The truth of the matter is, is that God's love is completely unconditional. Amen? And so we learned that in the first couple weeks. Then last, well, two weeks ago, all right, I talked about our, our value being rooted in sonship. That I'm valuable because I'm a son. I'm valuable because I'm a, a daughter. I'm a valuable because of my relationship to him. My value is rooted in my sonship. And I pointed out how the, the moment my son Ryan was born, my firstborn, the moment he was born, right, he had never done anything except take a breath, right? From the moment that he was born, he became more valuable to me than my own life, right? And every parent in here knows what I'm talking about. And so more valuable to me than my own life, and yet he had done nothing for me. All he did was show up, right? All I did was show up. And don't worry, Amanda, you guys are just as valuable. I'm talking about my first child here, right? You know, <laughs> same thing happened over and over again with Amanda and then with Derek, right? Uh, and so we understand from that is that our value is a byproduct of the son or the child of God that I've become. That's where my value is rooted in. And we have to get that into our spirit. I am family. That's why I'm valuable. I'm family, that's why I'm valuable. Now, usefulness is another matter altogether. That my usefulness is rooted in my partnership with God. I become more useful to the degree that I'm able, everybody say able, able, able to partner with him, right? My usefulness does not increase my value. So the more useful I become, the more educated, trained, equipped, practiced, disciplined, all of the rest of that, I may become more useful to God, but I don't become more valuable to God. And that's a trap a lot of people fall into. They think, well, now that I'm more useful, I'm more valuable, right? It's not true when it comes to family. It may be true when it comes to a, an athletic team or a business or a corporation, but it's not true with family. With family, we don't become more valuable because we're able to perform better. Our value is rooted in relationship, not in performance. Amen? And so, does your son or daughter's value increase with age, maturity, and capability? Of course not. They're not more valuable because they can do those things. But then, does their usefulness increase with age, maturity, and capability? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. My children are more useful today than they were when they were born. They're not more valuable, but they are more useful. They're more capable. They can do all kinds of things. They're, you know, they're awesome because they've been trained and they've educated and they've grown. They're far more useful, but they're not more valuable. They're not more valuable. And we cannot confuse those two things. Your value is rooted in relationship and sonship, and your usefulness is rooted in partnership. Now, that's what we've talked about. Now, if you want more detail about that, I'm happy to say we've got the, uh, had a few glitches technically, but all the podcasts are updated and everything's ready to go. You can catch up on it. It's all done. It's all good. It's ready to go. And uh, we can do that. All right? But I want to move on today, and I want to talk a little bit further about 
uh, grace, and I want to talk about a particular aspect of grace that is offensive to people. And I want to talk about what's offensive to us as believers. So I want to build on what I've talked about so far. And you have to understand that some of the things that we will find offensive as I share over the next few weeks are because the values of the world system are so ingrained in us that they're very difficult to cast off. They're very difficult to break through. And uh, they may be antichrist, but they're still so ingrained in us that we don't realize we're in their trap and in their grip. We've been raised so much in a stinking, earned-deserved culture that it's hard to break free from it. And this morning, we're going to challenge it probably on a level that uh, is, is going to shake some foundations this morning. Now, last Sunday, Ken preempted me by coming up with a definition of mercy and grace that he said that him and Bob Gall came up with when they were traveling in a car. I think he said from Calgary to Edmonton or something like that. But I want to set the record straight. Barry and I came up with that, do- that uh, definition about 20 years ago on a drive to Montreal to do a leather trip. See, Tammy's nodding her head because she knows that's, that's where it really came from, and Ken stole it from us. So I just wanted to be clear about that, that Ken stole it from us. I told him that in, the, in a text this week, and, and then he laughed, and then he said, yeah, but uh, we had that conversation in 1997. I said, you know, or 1998. It was before you guys. I said, don't try to confuse this thing here. You still stole it from us. That's the reality of it. The, the truth is, I'm sure many people have had this revelation over the years, and this definition is nothing new. But mercy is God not giving, say everybody say not giving, not giving me what we deserve or giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. We deserve, you know, separation, isolation. But mercy is God not giving us those things that our sins, the Bible say, have earned us, right? So grace, on the other hand, is different. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. So what don't we deserve? We don't deserve forgiveness, we don't deserve love. We don't deserve giftings and power and affection and, 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 and adoption into the family. We don't deserve those things, and that's what grace is. Grace is God imparting to us, imparting to us what we don't deserve. It's in many ways, it's the other side of the coin of God's redemption. And when we're redeemed by God, we receive both mercy and grace. And we often use the words interchangeable, but they're not the same thing. Mercy is not getting what you deserved. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Isn't that true? And if we can get that into our our heart, it's a good step in the right direction. And it's that definition of grace, that it's God giving us what we don't deserve, that I want to challenge this morning. Now, you know, we say we, we, we believe it and everything else, but you know what? We believe it until we run into it in a situation or an application that offends us. Speaking the truth here. Till we run into a situation where it offends us. And then all of a sudden, well, it doesn't really apply. You know, when we run into a situation we, where we see it applied to somebody that we think is completely unworthy, then we cry, foul! That's not really grace. As if we know better than God. I ran into this situation last year, last April, in fact. Last April, Mark and I, we meet on... Uh, Wednesday mornings at Starbucks, and everybody here knows that I love Starbucks. I uh, have a second office at Starbucks, and uh, it's my second home. Uh, If you can't find me here at the church or at home, I'm probably at Starbucks. And uh, I go to the same Starbucks all the time, 
I don't think I've been to the one in the mall except for maybe once at Christmas time when my wife dragged me to the mall shopping. Uh, I don't think I've been there at all other than that one time in the last maybe year or two. I always go to the same one, and I know almost all the staff, I think, by name. I have life conversations with them all the time. Uh, uh, you know, I even have my own mug there for crying out loud. Uh, Mark and I have our own mug there. We're the only two people besides staff that have our own mugs there. So we've been fully adopted into the, the store, right? And so I love Starbucks. But last April, and Mark, you probably remember this, last April, I mean, I came into Starbucks and I was absolutely livid. And it said, this week only, get gold status on your first purchase. Gold status on your first purchase. Oh, I was mad. It took me a year to get gold status. I went from peon to green status to gold status by buying a lot of coffee. Drinking a lot of coffee. And I go in there this day, and there's a sign that says, get gold status on your first purchase. Now, if you don't know anything about gold status... Well, let me tell you, gold status is free refills. Everybody talks about, oh, Starbucks is so expensive. You pay $2.45 for a, a coffee that you can get for two bucks at, at Tim Hortons. That's true. But if Tim Hortons, I go up to the counter, I say, could I have a refill? They look at me like I have three heads. <laughs> at Starbucks, for my meetings, which do tend to go on a little bit, I walk up and say, I'd like a, a refill. Oh, what would you like in that? Light, dark, medium roast? Would you like tea this time? And they just take it and fill it up for me again. Put that in your Tim Hortons pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Gold status is, is, is collecting all these points and getting free rewards. Gold status is, is being able to have special. If, you know, if they have a special on from 2 to 4 o'clock, uh, you know, uh, what they call happy hour, for me as a gold person, it starts at noon. <laughs> Woo! Come on now. Privilege, privilege. And now all of a sudden they're giving it to people at their very first purchase. Oh, was I mad. Oh, I cannot express to you how mad I was. Mark comes in, I'm like, can you believe that? Can you believe that? Gold, one purchase. Gold, one purchase. I was incensed. I was absolutely incensed, and I'm sitting there thinking about this, and I'm grumbling. I think I grumbled out loud, for sure, and this was such an insult. This is an insult to everybody who obtained gold status the same way I did, by spending a lot of money and drinking a lot of coffee. And to all those people who had done that, I thought, this is an insult. This is a slap in the face. This is so wrong. Wrong. This is an injustice. And I was about to get up out of my chair and go up to the counter and tell them how much of an injustice I thought this was when Mark kind of looked at me and he said, hmm, it's kind of like grace, isn't it? I says, pardon? Kind of like grace, isn't it? And immediately God took me to the scripture this morning. Immediately to one of my favorite scriptures, one of the ones I quote to people all the time, but had to be reminded of in my midst of my self-righteous rant, 
which I know you've never had, but I was having. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to look at the scripture this morning, beginning at verse 1. Matthew chapter 20, if you don't have your Bibles with you. I do happen to have it up here on the screen. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing idly. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one's hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to be hired to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, each received what? A denarius. But then when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. They received, that they would receive more. And complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one day. Bought only one cup of coffee. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. If I wish to give, uh, sorry, and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, my own money? Or is your EI evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, few can handle this level of grace. Father, today we ask for your strength to unpack this story, to understand what you're saying here to your church, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to do a quick review of this story. First of all, um, I need to give you a little bit of an, uh, a note here. The day begins at 6 a.m. So when the story says the third hour, it means nine, right? When it says the sixth hour, that was noon, right? When it says the uh, ninth hour, that's three. The eleventh hour, that's five. And the end of the day would be 6 p.m. Does everybody follow that? That would be culturally what they were talking about at the time. So I'm going to go through a, a series of truths that we can extract from this passage. And then I'm, I'm going to help us to understand how much the nature of God this is and how it affronts us all the time. All right? Truth number one, truth number one, the workers did not seek the owner, the owner sought them. This is a really important part of the story that often gets missed. All the workers were in the same boat. They had nothing to do with their lives. They were all standing there waiting for somebody to care, somebody to reach out to them, somebody to redeem them, to make them useful, productive in some way or another. And the owner, the landowner, sought them out. They didn't go knocking on his vineyard and say, I need a job. No, he went into the marketplace, found them standing there, and he hired them. And I think we have to understand how much of a picture of the nature of God's grace this is. I mean, let's be honest. We love him, the scripture says, because what? He first 
love me. That God searches for every one of us. He seeks us out. He is looking to uh, start a relationship with every one of us. It begins and it ends with God. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? And we have to see how the nature of God is reflected in the fact that, that God was the one that was seeking them out, whether it was at the, six, uh, the first hour or the third or the sixth or even the eleventh. It was God who went back and he found still more and he sought them. Amen? God sought them. That's the first truth. Truth number two. Truth number two. The workers hired in the early hours of the morning agreed to a denarius. They agreed to a denarius as adequate wage for a day's labor. They were approached by the landowner who said, if you'll do this, this is what I will give you. And they didn't say, oh man, you're ripping me off. I, I could get two denarius for a day if I went to this property, that property. No, no. They received it as an adequate, as a, as a, a good wage for their services for the day. There was no complaint. There was no grumbling. They were happy to be hired for that denarius. So in no way was, was the landowner looking to be stingy when he hired them in the first place. That they agreed upon uh, this wage. And, and, I, and, and I think if we are honest, we, we don't have any problem agreeing to what God gives to us. We say, God, that's, that's good. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's beautiful that you're going to redeem me and give me this. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for that spirit of heaviness, that I can be a tree of righteousness, the planting of God. Do you understand what I mean? And we're glad, we're happy, we rejoice that God has taken us in and has given us purpose and, and has given us hope and a future. All right, truth number three. Those hired at the third, the sixth, and the eleventh hour were hired by trust and not according to any financial agreement. Remember, he negotiated with the first guys, and he said, listen, you come work for me today, and I will give you a denarius for the whole day's work, right? But to those he went back and hired, he just said, come and work for me, and what did he say? And I will give you what is right. I will give you what's right, right? So maybe, maybe they went and they finally got on the work site, and they saw their other guys working there, and they said, psst, just wanted to know, what are you guys getting paid for the day? They said, well, we're getting a denarius. Oh, okay, cool. And they probably thought to themselves, well, I'm going to get three quarters of a denarius. Or I'm going to get half a denarius for half day's work. Do you understand what's happening here? And, and they, they, they were probably trying to find out what they were going to get. Because he never said what he was going to give them. He just said, I will give you what is right. I will give you what's right. So they're probably expecting less than a denarius. They're probably expecting less than what one would get for a full day's work. But the landowner said, I will give you what is right. Now, truth number four. The landowner was intentional. Everybody say intentional. He was intentional about what he paid each worker. He brought the workers in at the end of the day, and it says that he had his, his hands arrange them from the ones who got hired last down to the ones who got hired first, right? And he was very intentional. He started with the ones hired last, and he very intentionally went to those and gave them a denarius. He was very intentional about what he was doing. There, this was no accident. This was no, uh, you know, ill-conceived idea that he had just on a whim done. No, no, he was very intentional about what he was doing. And he started with those hired last, and he gives them the same thing that he was giving to those who had agreed to work for the whole day. 
Now, when he did this, uh, for the first men, I mean, the last men who were hired, I'm sure they were like, whoa, I work one hour, got a denarius, woo, woo, woo. Right? Something like that, right? And you can also imagine that the guys who got hired first were probably pretty curious about this development. They're probably like, well, if he gave them a denarius, what's he going to give us? Right? But then as the landowner started working down the line, denarius, then the guys that work three hours, denarius, the guys that work six, you can probably see the countenance of those who were hired first falling fairly aggressively to the floor. Their hopes dashed upon the rocks. And so, you know, these last workers, I'm sure, were all, had a building momentum of anger and frustration at what was going on here. Now, it's these last two truths that really expose the nature of grace in this story. Let's look at them this morning. Truth number five. The anger of the workers who were hired first is completely understandable. How many, if this happened to you, and I'll be honest, don't get all self-righteous on me. If this story was you, how many would be angry here this morning if you were one of those first workers? I'm sure you would. The rest of you are lying completely. <laughs> you know, this is the house of God. Don't be lying here, okay? You know? And you know what I'm talking about. You worked for that company for 35 years, right? You toiled and worked up the corporate ladder where you started at 10000 a year, and then you finally made fifty, and then 75000 a year, and that was your reward for working all these years, and then they hire some kid at a high school, and they give him 100000 right off the bat. You'd be ticked, and you know you would. So don't give me that, oh, not me, Pastor, not me. I'd be perfectly fine with it. Baloney, you would. Now, let me ask the question again. How many, if this was you, you'd be angry? Of course you would. My goodness, we just deal with that lying spirit right now in Jesus' name, Lord. <laughs> the anger of these guys is completely understandable. It's completely understandable. I mean, this is just such a, an injustice. You know, in biblical times, just like today, their culture functioned on earned deserve. Right? You get what you work for. You get what you pay for. You get what you invest in. You, it's, it's a culture built on productivity and, and investment and all the rest of it. No different. No different. And they had every right when those people who got hired, I think at the end of the day, got one denarius for their one hour's labor to have an anticipation in their spirit that, hey, we're going to get more. But then they didn't get more. And it's understandable that they were angry. It's understandable. But here's the crux of the story. The first workers are angry. Not so much because they were not being paid what they deserved. No, because they agreed to a denarius at the beginning of the day. It's fair, right? But rather that those hired at the 11th hour were being paid what they did not deserve. That, did we not already say is the very definition of grace. Receiving what we did not deserve. And here is the crux of the issue. We're really happy to receive grace ourselves. But sometimes when it gets extended to other people, we don't like it. We do not like it. It's offensive. 
when we see grace extended to other people. But we have to understand grace is grace. And grace is extended to all of us. The very definition of it is that absolutely none of us, say none of us, none of us deserves it. None of us deserve it. Number six, final truth. Truth number six. The money was the landowner's to do with as he pleased. The grace of God is God's to do with as he pleases. As he pleases. I find it interesting that it pleased the landowner to do good to those who did not earn it. This is the description of the heart of God and his grace. And though it seems unfair to we who have been raised in an earned, earned deserved culture and environment, the bottom line is that the landowner's heart, the heart of God, was to bless those who did not deserve it, to those who did not earn it, to those who bought one cup of coffee instead of a whole year's worth of coffee. God extended grace. Now, this is offensive in our culture. But it's the way the kingdom has to work. What do you mean it's the way the kingdom has to work? Well, let me explain that to you this morning. It has to work this way. It has to work this way because God is what? God's not fair. What do you mean God's not fair? If God's not fair, we're all pooched. No, no, no. If he was fair, we're all pooched. Let me explain. Can you just turn the gain down on this? I got lots of power. I can... Probably uh, turn the game down. I'll quit feeding back. That's good. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> you could be forgiven if you read the story and you concluded that it wasn't fair. Because it's not. It's not. The workers who labored all day had every reason to be mad because it's not fair. So then how in the world, if it's not fair, is this story a reflection of a good and a just God? You know, that question troubled me for years. I hated this parable. I was raised in a very strong, earned, deserve home. And I did not like this parable when I read it the first time, second time, third time, 50th time. Didn't like it. And that question troubled me for years. How is this a reflection of a good and just God? Then I had an experience where I finally grasped. I finally had a revelation of how this is a perfect reflection of God and his grace, a grace that I didn't deserve. I was driving my mom about a decade ago, maybe yeah or so, to uh, Kingston, and she was having surgery to have cataracts removed. So, so I had, to, I had to, to drive her to the appointment, obviously, because she can't drive herself back after you've had cataract surgery. So she was in the car, and we drove up to Kingston and <clears throat> had the appointment. And then I'm driving her back afterwards, and I don't even know how the conversation came around to this. I don't know how it happened. But the conversation came around to how much of, and this was her word, how much of a hellion I was as a, as a teenager. She said, you were awful. You were evil. She's using these words with me. And quite frankly, I wasn't a very nice teenager. We don't need to get into all the stories of things that I did, but I'm sure I gave my parents more gray hair than my three siblings added together. Uh, I was not a good kid. And, uh, you know, my mom looked at me. She just, she just said, you know, it's just, it's just not right. I said, what's not right? She said, well, you are such a hellion, and your kids are so nice and so good. 
And my mom looked at me and she said, it's just not fair. She said, you should have to reap at least a portion of what your dad and I suffered through with you. She said, it's not fair. And I looked at her, I said, you're right. It's not fair. She said, you're agreeing? I said, yes, I agree. It's not fair. I said, but that's the thing. God's not fair. And she got really offended. She goes, what do you mean God's not fair? If God's not fair, I mean, who, who, do, who can we even look to to be fair? And I said, the reality is, Mom, God's not fair. Because if God was fair, if God was fair, if God honestly gave every one of us what we deserved, there isn't anybody who would survive. Because we've all had evil intents in our heart over and over and over again. No matter how saintly you were as a child, you may not have stacked up to my resume, but I'm sure you did things that were wrong. I'm sure the spirit of rebellion, the spirit of, of something cropped up at some point. And God had to forgive you. And he did it not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you worked through it, jumped through all the right hoops. He did it because of his great love and affection for you. You see, God, his love, his mercy, and his grace are not fair. He gives it to very undeserving people. And the beautiful thing is that if we'll receive it, if we'll walk in it, then we don't have to reap all the things that our behavior should have produced for us. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, you may not understand this. You may not get this, but the truth of the matter is, God is not fair. God is not fair. That's the truth. He's not fair. And it's a good thing that he's not. God is not fair. Instead, he is the God of mercy and the God of grace. He's not the fair God. He's the mercy and grace God. Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? He is the mercy and grace God. He's not the fair God. God is not fair. None of us have received what we fairly deserve. We cannot cry foul, then, when someone else receives the same treatment, the same grace, when they fall into the hands of the unfair God that we received. See, how can I, if you want to take the Starbucks application all the way, how can I, when you translate that into God's grace in my life, be offended when somebody else comes in and experiences the kind of forgiveness that I've already experienced. See, there is no room for us to measure how, how you know, some people uh, deserve more grace or don't deserve more grace. No, grace is just grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the only qualifier that the Bible even speaks of with respect to it is that those who have been forgiven more love more. doesn't say that they... That they're a greater example of my, of my power. They're, they're a great, I can show them off more. No, no, it just says they love more. The one who's been forgiven much loves much. And so when we get a, a revelation of how much we've been forgiven, there's no more room in our heart to hold out against somebody else who's experiencing it. You know, we have a saying around here that we get from this story. It's called same wage. We've told people this many times. You know, they could be away from God. They could be running hard away from God for years. But when they come back to God, we tell them the same wage. It's as if you never left. Because that's the grace of God. And if we're going to put performance quotas on people, if we're going to hold people hostage to their past failures or their past performance, then guess what? we got to hold the same standard to ourselves. And we're all in trouble. 
We're all in serious trouble if we're going to do that. The kingdom of God must operate on the love and the mercy and the grace of an unfair God. It has to be same wage. If it's not same wage, we all become self-righteous critics of everyone else and not of ourselves. And there's no room for that in the kingdom of God. This is what this parable is teaching us. And like all parables, you can't, you know, make a direct correlation and say that the landowner is God. No, it's a story to illustrate the nature of God. God doesn't actually give us denarius as he gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us mercy. He gives us hope in a future. But please understand, the heart of God is so revealed in this story. It is so revealed in this epic, epic biblical story for us today. And you've got to be honest this morning. Some of you here today are having a real hard time with this revelation. You've seen people, you know, who have done some pretty wicked stuff. And they've done it against you. And they're forgiven. And it ticks you off. And it will continue to tick you off until you get a revelation of how much God's forgiven you. And when you are aware and realize that God has forgiven everything you've ever done, you will not be able to hold out to somebody else. The truth of the matter is, we all got gold standard for free. None of us earned it. None of us deserved it. We all received God's grace because of the work of Jesus Christ. He paid the price. And I can't sit back in self-righteous judgment over somebody else because they come in and they receive his grace. In fact, I should rejoice. The truth is this. God's grace is never earned or deserved. It's unfairly given to every single one of us. And there's no room. Everybody say no room. No room for us to sit in judgment over what God is doing in another person. And if you want to have an argument with God, if you want to say, God, it's not fair, you can yell that in his face all day long. And he's just going to say, I realize you don't think it's fair. But trust me, it's better this way. It's better that it not be fair. Because if it was fair, the kingdom of God would be in big trouble. Big, big trouble. Let me conclude this morning. The way I look at it, you have two choices this morning. This is God's message today. You can have a fair God. You can have a fair God. Or you can have a God of mercy and grace. You can have a fair God. Or you can have a mercy of grace. You can stand before the fair God. And you can be judged according to your standards that you've erected, according to the standards that you want to hold to, whether they're found in the Bible, whether they're found in the laws of this land, it doesn't matter. You can stand before him and you can say, I'll be judged by those laws, or you can stand before the unfair God and you can be judged by grace and mercy and be declared clean. The choice is yours. But be aware, if you want to hold other people to that judgment, you'll be judged the same. In the Lord's Prayer, we have one of the most powerful statements by Jesus Christ when he says, forgive us. He teaches us to pray, right? Here's what he teaches, how he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as what? 
we forgive those who trespassed, who sinned against us. And I've taught before and said, you know, we're, when we pray that prayer, are we putting a condition on our own forgiveness? Maybe. But I think what God was trying to show us in that prayer was not so much that we have the power to put a condition on our own forgiveness, but to give us a revelation of how forgiveness has been imparted to us and how we're supposed to impart it to others. That the truth of the matter is, if God's forgiven me, I can forgive others, no matter what they've done. And if you're waiting this morning for, for people to, to somehow uh, you know, own it or whatever, you know what? That's a whole other sermon. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Okay? And I can preach that one a little further down the road. I can forgive somebody and still not fully trust them. Forgiveness, however, doesn't have to be earned. Trust does. Right? Trust needs to be earned. You know? Um, I think God forgave me long before he had any reason to trust me. And then as I matured in him, he's given me more and more latitude and given me more and more privilege and more and more opportunity because the level of trust has grown. Now, I'm not going to do a debate with you about, well, he knows your heart and blah, 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 all that kind of from my own perspective, I need to understand it that way. And God knows that too. So trust and forgiveness are not the same thing. But you can forgive. That means releasing that person 100% into the arms of a loving God and having no, everybody say no, no animosity in your heart. Not one bit. And we need to be free that way. We need to give God's love and God's grace that way. Because if we don't, if we want to be judged the way we're judging others, how many know that's a serious invitation to suffering? Amen? I want you to stand with me this morning. I am well aware that probably every person in this place has had their own Starbucks moment <laughs> where you saw God's grace being applied to somebody that in your mind didn't deserve it and it frustrated you. Could be, could be just in the job world and you see somebody getting something they don't deserve. It could be uh, in the retail world like it was for me, but you need to have the same revelation I had and that is that is, that if we want to apply that kind of thinking to the kingdom, we don't want to fall under that kind of judgment, do we? So this morning, I invite you to get, get it right. Get it right. Don't, don't leave here this morning with any unforgiveness in your heart. I don't care if it's to an employee, a family member, an enemy, somebody who's done more harm to you than you can possibly shake a stick at, you need to release forgiveness to them today. You need to forgive them. Don't hold on to it anymore. To not forgive somebody, I heard one preacher say, is to, you know, lock yourself into a prison and swallow the key. The truth of the matter is, is that, you know, God has given us the ability to step out of the prison. It's called grace. And hit by his grace, the doors fly open, forgiveness is able to flow, and health 
is restored to our being. So I'm inviting you this morning. These altars are open. I'm going to invite you in a minute. I'm going to pray. And, and if there is, you know, anything, anything in your heart that you know you need to get right, that you need to lay it before him today, that you need to forgive, that you need to release. And again, it doesn't matter if it's a sin issue or if it's just like I was talking about. You, somebody got that raise you didn't get. Somebody got this that you worked hard for and you didn't get. Whatever the revelation comes from, deal with it this morning so that God can work in you unhindered because we got a lot of stuff he wants to do in and through us. And when we get a hold of grace, when we realize that God made me good and it cost me nothing, we have lots to tell and celebrate the world with. And they'll find that attractive because they can't find it anywhere else. It's only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No other religion is going to talk like this. No other religion in the world. Oh, they all have golden rules, but none of them have the golden rule that ours is do unto others as you would have them do to you. They all say do to others as they did to you. We don't work that way. Because in the culture of grace, it's do to others how you'd want them to do to you. That's grace. Amen? So, Father, today in Jesus' name, we invite you, Holy Spirit, in this place to deal with our hearts. So that, God, there, we leave this place without one ounce of unforgiveness tucked away in our spirit. And Father, right now you're speaking to people about an area, whether it's, a, you know, with a, a relationship or with a coworker or with a situation that they've been working under for years, Lord, in Jesus' name right now, you are calling upon them to release it to you. And so, Father, we do that today. We lay it at your feet. Father, we ask you, Lord, to bring us healing and, and mercy and grace, not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because you're the unfair God who gives to all who have not earned or deserved. But you give it to them because of your love. That we'll get a revelation of how great your love is, how much we've been forgiven so we can forgive others. If God's speaking right now, just, I want to invite you right now just to come and just stand here with me this morning. Just stand here with me, and I'm going to pray a corporate prayer over you this morning as you just release that unforgiveness from your spirit to those in your life that you know that you need to release it to right now in Jesus' name. And just come and stand with me, and, uh, and then in a moment we'll close in prayer. So don't, don't be shy. Come on and uh, join me here this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Doesn't matter what the hurt is. Doesn't matter what... The enemy has to say about it. Don't hold on to it this morning. You need to leave here this morning knowing that it's released in Jesus' name. That there is not one bit of it you're still holding on to. You need to give it to him today. Don't leave hanging on to it anymore. I implore you, don't. Give it to Jesus today. It's going to try to rear its head. It's going to try to come back up and claim a spot in your heart, but you have made a decision today to lay it at the feet of Jesus, and you're just going to push it back down and say, no, no, that's at the feet of Jesus. I'm not picking that up. It's not mine anymore. It's been laid at his feet. It's been laid at his feet. I'll just wait a moment more. Anybody this morning? Make sure you deal the business with God today that you need to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you today. Lord, these 
humble spirits that have just come out today and Father said, Lord, Lord, I want to lay this at your feet. I want to lay it down. I want to give it to you, Jesus. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I want to make sure that, God, my heart is right before you, that there's nothing in my heart that is holding others in a judgment that I am not receiving myself, that I release grace to them that I have received myself. And so, Father, today in Jesus' name, I pray, God, that you would right now, as we just take, just take your hand and just kind of open it up like this and as if you were holding it in front of you in your hand, and then I want you to just dump it onto the floor. Just take it and just dump it. We just turn our hands open and we dump it on the floor and we give it to Jesus. That's right. Just open your hands and dump that thing at the feet of the Lord. Father, we place it at your feet this morning. We recognize that, God, you have forgiven us so much. That, Father, it is absolutely, uh, should be easy for us to forgive others. Give us a revelation continuously every day of how much you've forgiven us so that, Lord, we can continually live in a grace to forgive others as well. Father, I thank you for this word today. And, Lord, as, as we uncover some of the difficult difficult truths of your grace, I pray, God, that we will begin to, to walk and to talk and to sound like the God who has forgiven us. Father, let your healing power and your restorative grace work in every heart here this morning. Father, we're, we're forgiving and we're releasing grace this morning, not because the people that we're forgiving deserve it. Mm -mm. We're giving it because, Father, we didn't deserve it and we give it recognizing that, Father, if we didn't deserve it and we got it, they can have it too. And they can have it from you and they can have it from us. And, Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now I just want everyone to lift your hands to the Lord this morning. And I want to just thank him for his incredible grace all across this auditorium this morning. Father, we thank you for your marvelous grace. I thank you, Lord, for how much you've forgiven us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for all the grace you've imparted to us, Lord. We thank you, God, for your love and, Father, for uh, you being, Lord, the, the great unfair God who does not give us what we deserve and yet pours out affectionately to us what we've not earned and what we've not deserved. Father, we thank you today for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. And, Lord, I pray in this hour that Father will take a hold of it like never before because there's a world that needs to experience this kind of love, this kind of mercy, this kind of grace. They need to experience it, Lord, and it's only going to come through the, the Lord Jesus Christ walking this earth with skin on, you and I. It's going to come through us, Lord, today. And Father, I thank you for every person here that is a son or a daughter of you, that Father, they go forth today with the truth that, God, I have been given much, Freely I've received, freely I can give. And Father, I thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, next week, we got another tough one, so don't miss it. <laughs> another tough story in the scripture we got to work through that reveals his grace. God bless you. Have an amazing week in him.